Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. All right, ready? Here we go. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. <laughs> and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. The old King James says he gave up the ghost. I like that. I like that translation. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. No, duh, right? Wouldn't you expect that? The most obvious verse in the entire Bible. Everyone is afraid. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now, it was about three hours later because his wife was doing her hair, doing her makeup, and she came in not knowing what had happened and Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out, woman. I added that woman part. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. She gave up the ghost too. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And the tithe and offering that day was the best that it ever had been in the history of the church. <laughs> It's the JLV, the James Lecce, whatever, version of, of this. Can you imagine that, though, what that must have been like? Right? Can you imagine this scene? How many of you think I'm crazy? Raise your hand that I'm preaching from this. How many, be honest, you've heard it, Pastor Linda? How many of you have heard a sermon on this before? Be honest, you've heard, not like, you heard, a, in person, you heard a sermon on this. No? You heard one? You heard you did. Okay, you heard a sermon on it. All right, I don't know, maybe you did. All right, but it's not a popular text. Unless somebody is teaching through the book of Acts and they're taking it line by line, they're doing expository teaching, many people miss this. Now, don't we always say to, I'd love to go back to the book of Acts and, and Lord, can we see a lot of the miracles that we saw in the first century church? I, this is not one miracle that I, I think we'd want to see, right? And if, if it was like this today, every church would have need of an undertaker and you'd have to have a morgue in the basement because people would be dropping like flies, right? You with me on that? So here is this couple. Now, I have to give you, I have to give you the backstory to this. Last week, we looked at the life of Barnabas. Did you enjoy that? Because we went into detail into the life of Barnabas and looking what an encourager. So I moved ahead in the book of Acts, but gave us a full picture of who this guy was. And we see that even today when Pastor Linda was talking and, and, and Jeff and Casey and, and, you know, and Ted Patron and people. That's what encouraging other people and being there for other people. That's who we are. That's who we're supposed to be. 
And if you remember last week or you weren't here, that's okay. We met a guy named Barnabas. His name was Joseph, but the apostles changed his name to Barnabas because Joseph was not good enough. And this is what the text says. So this is the passage right before what I read. You with me? Right before... So it says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And we said last week, right, this is the, he is the first donor in the early church. We think of all the churches and all the missions and all the organizations, the billions of dollars that have, has been funneled through from people that have been quite benevolent. It all started with a man by the name of Barnabas. Everyone in the church would have heard of this story of this guy named Barnabas and the fact that he gave out of what he had, he gave generously. So then when the story goes, right, when it says, but in the beginning of chapter five, moving, and by the way, when Luke wrote this, and I hope you realize this when you read your Bibles, hopefully you read your Bibles, but when you read your Bible, they didn't have, authors did not write, hey, I'm in chapter five right now, so I wrote about this guy named Barnabas. Let me start a new chapter, chapter five. That happened much later. So he's writing this story, Luke, who is a doctor, he's a physician, he's an historian too in the church, and he's writing this story, and he has a big butt right here. This is the first sin to enter the church. This is wild. It's the first sin to enter the church. How is God going to handle this? When you get killed, you don't come back from that. Right? You get killed. I mean, maybe you get chastised. You get punished. You know, maybe Sapphire and Ananias. I don't know. Maybe you can't hang out with the church for a little while. They're killed. They're executed. So it's kind of weird, right? But can I, tell it, can I retell the story of what I think it was like? Can I give you the, the James Lecce translation of this story? You all right with that? I don't usually do that. But I wanted to give you my version of what I think happened. Yeah? Yeah? You cool with that? All right. So I think it started like this, that Ananias caught wind on social media. He saw it was on Facebook. It was on Twitter. People were retweeting this. It was on Instagram. It was on Snapchat. It was all over the place that there was a guy named Barnabas who had donated a piece of land, and this wasn't any piece of land. This was his sea, seafront property. This was a piece of land that was very desirable. And he donated this piece of land and says, you know what, I'm going to give it away. And there is Ananias. This guy woke up one morning and he saw it all over social media and he saw pictures of Barnabas with the apostles. And you have to understand now, and we've ta I've taught about this in the series, there are at least 5,000 5, men, many scholars believe, there are upwards of 20,000 people when you include the women and the children. Is that staggering? So here, I imagine this guy, Ananias, that he's looking at Barnabas in pictures, and he's there with the apostles because the apostles are becoming like the superstars. They're not asking to become superstars, but they just are, and God is using them in amazing ways. So here is this guy, Ananias, and he goes, look at all of the recognition and look at all of the attention that Barnabas is getting for this. And he knew Barnabas because they were in Rotary Club together. They knew each other, right? So they knew each other, and um, listen, Barnabas had more friends than the temple had priests, 
right? This was a guy that everybody knew, and Ananias saw this and said, this is an opportunity for me to be recognized. This is an opportunity for people to see me. I'm no different than Barnabas, and I'm a man of affluence and a man of influence, and maybe I could give something away too, and maybe people could see me, and maybe, maybe, maybe I would rise to prominence and people would want to have pictures of me one day right? And then he, he thought about it too. He went home to his wife, Sapphira. Sapphira, by the way, you know what it means? In Greek, it, it means beautiful, right? Maybe she's beautiful on the outside. I don't think she's too beautiful on the inside. His name means God is gracious. It's kind of ironic when you look at the story here, right? God is gracious. So here they are though, and I see them having a conversation. And he says to Sapphira, he says, you know what? What about the piece of property that my Uncle Benjamin gave me, right? Uncle Bibby. Went over half of your heads, right? No? We are going to talk at some point and mention the, 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 President Trump's deal of the century, right? And I'm, I don't care about, I'm not talking about President Trump, but at some point, I think it's important for us to be a prophetic people and to look as to what it means for us and what the Bible has to say about his deal of the century. And yes, the Palestinians, right, they rejected it, you know, 10,000 times or whatever the heck they said, but it's something that we should at least look at. Did you know in almost 98% of churches around the country, they don't talk about biblical prophecy at all? They don't talk about the end times at all? How? Anyway, sorry. So Uncle Benjamin and Uncle Benjamin deeded Ananias and Sapphira a piece of land and he noted in his will, Andy, you better hold on to this piece of land. The house there, the, 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 you know, it may develop into something that people want and may be very desirable down the road. Hold on to it. It may be a nest egg for you. So Ananias has this conversation with Sapphira, and he says to her, you know what? We can probably get about 8,000 denarius for this property. I think people would, maybe, they, maybe they'd want it. And he looks at her, and she says, really, you want it? Hey, look, look what happened with Barnabas. Can you imagine that would be us, and we would get all of that attention? Yeah, she says, all right, I think it's a good idea. So the next day, they were hanging out at Solomon's porch, and there's another meeting, and Peter is running the meeting. I see Peter running it, and then Peter opens up the floor, and it's time for testimonies, and it's time for prayer, and there is Ananias, who got a good seat right up front, right? You surprised that he's up front? And he stands up on his feet, and he says, I have a testimony. Sapphira and I are going to be donating a piece of land that we have. We're going to take all the proceeds and we're going to put it toward the widow's fund. With that, there is an uproar. People are clapping. People are shouting. He then tells his wife to stand up and Sapphira stands up and she does a little circle. She goes around and everyone is clapping for them and they're so excited because they think they're going to get the same attention and the same acclaim and everyone's going to venerate them just like they did Barnabas. And then they sit down. They go home. They get the real estate agent and they list the property. And you know what happened? This is interesting. It only took two days for them to sell the property. Only two days. And not only did they get, they thought they were going to get 8,000 denarius for it. It turned into a bidding war and they sold the property for 15,000 denarius. Are you kidding me? That's a lot of money. Never expected that to happen. And real estate laws back then were a little different than New York real estate laws. And they were able to close the deal in less than a week. 
So there they are. They had a check for $15,000 and their home sitting at their kitchen table the morning after they sold the property. And there she is stirring her coffee. And there is Ananias. He's there drinking his goat milk. And they're sitting at the table. And then he picks up the check and it says $15,000. And an idea hits him. He says, you know what, honey? What if we only gave the church a portion of the $15,000. No one would ever know. What if we just wrote out a check for $10,000? Nobody would ever know this. How would they know? Brilliant idea, honey. So they go to the next meeting. Listen, follow me. They go to the next meeting. And there it is. There are a couple of thousand people again. Not, it's not 20,000 people, but there's a lot of people that are there. And with that, he stands up again when it's time for testimonies and prayer. And he says, I have the check. We sold the piece of property and we're giving it all to the, to the fund to help out widows. And he puts it in the basket. And again, people are clapping and they're so excited. And they sit down and the meeting ends. And then there's a young man by the name of Stephen, who you're going to meet pretty soon in a few weeks. And Stephen says, Peter and John would actually like to meet with you later today. Can you imagine the excitement for Ananias and Sapphira? They make their way home and he says to her, I know what they're going to ask us. Are we comfortable with being recognized at the banquet? They're, honey, they're going to have a banquet for us. We're going to have to get our best. I'm going to go home. He puts on his best cologne. He, he dresses to the nines. I'm going to go there. They're going to talk about how great we are. I can't wait for this. He leaves his house and he heads down and there he is and he walks in and there's the meeting and Peter hits him with four questions, y'all. Hit him with four questions and then it was over. The guy's dead. You, we read the text together. Not what they expected, right? Was this what was it? This is not what they anticipated. And there he is dead on the ground because he held back some of the proceeds. And now let me tell you, because you want to make it relevant for you, but I had to tell you the story in my own way. Can you understand that this was a sin in the eyes of God because they pretended that they gave more than they actually gave? This is a sin because they pretended that they were all in, but they were only half in. And if you're half in, you can't be with other people that are all in. They were, they were half in. Half in and half out. And that, that, that's not going to work here in this story. So that's why God has to come after this. They wanted to turn the church into a runway where they could strut their stuff and show off who they were. You see, the writer, Luke, is trying to compare and contrast what we saw in the previous chapter with Barnabas. He's trying to show us, listen, I, I'm ready to preach this today. Right? I've read this about a thousand times. He's showing you, look, here is a guy that didn't care about impression management. He didn't care what people thought of him. He didn't care how people saw him. And then you have another couple that says, I want to be seen and I'll do anything it takes for people to see me, but not the real me, a me that I'm just going to make up. God can't pretend to bless who we pretend to be. Wow, I wish I had a church that was, that was paying attention. I just said a lot. Just said a lot. 
He can't bless who we pretend, who we make up to be, who we really aren't. Do you realize that's why he came down so hard on this? You thought I was going to preach about money. I'm not preaching about money from this text. And I bet some preachers do. That's not the core to me of this text. The core of this text is a big sin in the eyes of God. And you know what it is? Hypocrisy. This is all about hypocrisy. Now I'm coming for you. Now I'm coming for you. You are wondering, when is he going to come for me? I'm coming for you right now. Hypocrisy. You know what they say about us Christians? You know what they say, Tara? You know what they say about us? They say, I mean, just people that are unchurched. You know what they say about us Christians? They say we're hypocrites. Barner Research. Barner, I mean, this is like, there's a, a plethora of research out there. And they say that roughly, you know, in most polls, that they say 75 to 80% of Christians, the unchurched, that looking at us, they think we're hypocrites. Hypocrites. Okay? Can I tell you why I hate that? Can I just tell you how weak that is? If that's going to prevent somebody from coming to church, why do we always highlight the stories of the pastor or the big, you know, the big pastor out west that has a moral failure or that, that something happens, Bill Hybels in the Midwest? Yeah, you know what? It's, it's tragic. And there's a lot of collateral damage. But how about we focus on some of the millions of people that have laid their lives down for Christ and they fought the good fight and they finished the race and they kept the faith in the words of the Apostle Paul. If that's going to be a reason that you're going to do it, that's as weak as it comes. Terrible, right? Think about it. But I'm, I'm not saying, listen, do you know the opposite of hypocrisy is not perfection? The opposite of hypocrisy is not perfection. We have a sign in this church. Is that sign over there, no perfect people allowed? Is it still out there? I don't even know if it is. Is it out there? Because if it is, I want it up here today. I want to give it a little love. We don't usually give it a lot of love. If it's there, if not, don't worry about it. But we are a church. That's what we love about open church. When you come to open church, if you're perfect, stay home on your couch. But if you're not perfect like the rest of us, you come in and you hear other people share. That's what this place is, a safe church where nobody is perfect. Nobody has it all figured out. But we come in and bring our stuff and our junk and we talk about it. And we can actually be vulnerable and actually transparent with some of the issues and some of the things that are actually going on in our lives. You know, speaking of hypocrisy, the annual meeting of the American Heart Association, 300,000 doctors, nurses, and researchers met in Atlanta to discuss other things, the importance of a low-fat diet in staying healthy. 300,000 doctors are there. Yet during meal times, they were ingesting high-caloric, high-fat, fast-food meals, things like bacon cheeseburgers, things that you should not eat unless it's like a Super Bowl Sunday, and they were eating French fries, all foods that were just full of saturated fat, things that we're not really supposed to eat. And somebody asked one of the cardiologists, what's the deal? He said, um, are, you, are you partaking in this? Are you setting a bad example? And this is what the guy said. I love this. He said, not me, because I took my name tag off. <laughs> Isn't that good? So good. Guess what? As Christians, you don't get to take your name tag off. When we follow Christ, we don't get to take our name tag off. And people, I'm sorry, but the world is watching us. 
We don't have to go out there. I don't need to go out there with a megaphone. We went to a game in, in uh, I should have I put the picture. I forgot to do it during the week. But we went to a game in Tampa. Do you remember I made you take a picture? And I'm with a guy, and he's got a megaphone out there before we go into the game. And this guy is telling everybody's going to hell. Everybody. I'm, I, it was like troubling. Right? Everybody's going to hell, and he's just going on and on and on and on and on. Da, da, da. And I, like, what good are you doing for the kingdom of God being out here with a megaphone, right, with this kind of message? You are inoculating people against the gospel, right? And if you want to do that, get a megaphone and do that, I'm sure there's another church that would love to have you. I don't know. Do you know what the meaning of the word hypocrite, let me just put it, and I don't usually do this a lot, but can I give you a little Greek today? Can I give us a little Greek? Is that all right? All right. Now, the word in Greek, it's hypocrites. Can we say that together? Hypocrites. Hypocrites, right? That is where we get our word in English, hypocrite, from. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. I'm excited about this. All right, you know I can geek out a little bit on the history, but I'm going to make you fall a little bit, little bit more in love with Jesus. I think so. All right? Isn't that the goal, to fall in love and be conformed into the image of Jesus? All right, so look. Look what the definition is. Isn't this cool? One who puts on a mask and feigns himself to be what he is not, to be seen by men. Wow. Did you know actors in the first century, they all had masks? Every single actor, when they went on a stage, they put a mask on. Wow. Now, speaking of masks, can I tell you a little story? You're right. Indulge me a little story about masks. There was a guy who is pretty hard up. He's looking for a job. He had lost his job. And he said, you know what? I'm going to go down to my local zoo. I'm going to see if I can get a job, maybe feeding the animals. He loved animals. Goes down there, sees the manager. Manager says, look, man, I'm sorry, but we don't really need anybody to feed the animals. But I'll tell you what we do need. Our gorilla actually died a few days ago. And um, would you be open to actually, if we made you a gorilla costume, would you be open to putting that costume on? We'll put you in the cage, we'll practice, you know, and you just act, put a show on for the people, you know, do your thing, we'll pay you a lot of money for it. The guy's like, I don't have any other, you know, real job. Yeah, why not? I'll do it, let's do it. They put the costume together, there he is. They put him in the tank, and the cage, and he's banging his chest. And he's swinging around, they have a trapeze, and he's doing his thing, and everybody loves it. And after work, the guy, you're great, man, you're doing an awesome job. He's doing this for a couple of weeks. Then one day, he sees a group of people, and he's there, and he's trying to show off a little bit, right? And he grabs the trapeze, and he kind of makes his way over toward the lion cage, right? And he's hanging on the trapeze, and he's, his hand slips, and he falls into the lion cage. Can you imagine? He's afraid to yell help because he knows if he yells help, the ruse is up. So he kind of backs up and he's trying to get back to his cage. And with that, the lion stares at him and the lion starts coming toward him and he can't take it anymore. And he yells, help! And with that, the lion says, shut up, man, or we'll both be fired tomorrow. <laughs> wasn't that funny. Maybe it was. <laughs> you know, you know, it's so interesting. It's so interesting how we all wear masks. It's so interesting how adept we are as Christians at wearing masks to hide our brokenness, to hide our sin, 
and to hide our shame and to hide our guilt and to hide our wounds and to hide everything that's on the inside of us because we don't want to show people. We don't want to show weakness. We live in a culture that says don't show weakness. You're supposed to show strength. And I love Jesus for this. Ready? Did you know the word hypocrite is used 17 times in the New Testament and every single one of those times it is used by Jesus? That there is not a word I can think of in the English language that is more singularly his than the word hypocrite. Because Jesus was a friend of sinners, but he was an enemy of hypocrites. He was an enemy of people that said, we're going to put our spirituality on, on the outside. Jesus said, no, I care about what's on the inside. And he got mad at the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law because they put all of these responsibilities on the people. And they said, you got to follow the rules. It's all about rules. And Jesus said, it's not about rules. And this is what, this is the craziest part. You ready? This is the craziest part. Can I give you some Jesus history? Yes. All right. I don't care if you want it. You're getting it. <laughs> there was a city, a large Jewish Roman-influenced city. It was called Sephoris. Anybody, you ever, you ever hear of the city Sephoris? All right, you can look it up after if you want. See some pictures. I'm going to show you two pictures in a second. It was alive with culture, trade, political activism. Josephus, the historian, called it the jewel of Galilee. Kind of cool, right? Here's what's wild about Sephoris. It was a one-hour walk from an interesting town by the name of Nazareth. Huh. Do you know anybody, church, by the way, that grew up in Nazareth 2,000 years ago? Because I don't know anybody. Does anybody know? Because I don't know anybody. No? Jesus, Pastor Linda, she got it right. I was waiting for the audience, right? I knew Pastor Linda knew the answer, waiting for the rest of you. So here he is. Scholars believe that Joseph, you see, there were a lot of building projects. There weren't building projects in Nazareth. How cool is this? I want you to picture on a daily basis Jesus walking with his father, Joseph, because he was his apprentice. He was being mentored by his dad. And I want you to picture him walking an hour each way to take part in some of the building projects that were at the Sephoris, in, in the city of Sephoris, right? Can I show you one of them? This, this, is what, this is what gets me. This is an actual theater. You see, there was a theater that was built in 3 BC by Herod. Then Herod Antipas, it was destroyed, but then it was put, it was built again while Jesus was a youth, while he was young. We know this from history. It fit about three to 4,000 people in Sephoris. This was the theater that was there. You know when, you know when Jesus says in Matthew 4, uh, 5, 14, uh, a city on a hill, you know, you can't be hidden, right? You're the light of the world, right? When he says that in 5, 14, did you know what he's referring to? He's referring to in Nazareth where he grew up. You could see in the distance, this Sephoris was on a hill and it was about 500 feet, the elevation, that he could actually see the city from where he grew up in Nazareth. God, I love this stuff. So what's cool though, listen to me, this is where the plays took place in Sephoris. So this means when Jesus was a young man, a young boy, as he was growing up, he was accustomed to seeing actors on a stage and they wore their masks. So that when Jesus became a teacher, look what he says in Matthew. Isn't that cool, right? Where do you think he gets it from? Hypocrite was a term from then. And it's amazing too. Can I say this too? One philosopher, a Christian philosopher brought this out. I never really thought of it. How ironic it is, and I'm paraphrasing it. I wasn't going to share it, but I feel led to share it. That 
it's amazing that the church, we get called hypocrites by people, but that word comes from somebody who changed civilization 2,000 years ago because he used it in a tense to talk about religious leaders and all the bad things that they were doing and how they were having a deleterious effect on society. Kind of cool when you think about it. Here's an aerial shot of this. It's been excavated, numerous excavations here. Remember what I always tell you. The Bible is not a fairy tale. There's a lot of real history when you look at the Bible, a lot of archaeological digs. And I'm sorry, you don't hear that in a lot of sermons, but it's important, I think, to share once in a while. Did you also know this? I'll just throw this in too. Do you know when it says Jesus was the carpenter? It says it in like Mark, maybe six, whatever verse it is. I don't know off the top of my head. You know when it says Jesus was a carpenter? Son of Joseph, carpenter, right? Yes, Mary, son of Mary, sorry. Do you know that term in Greek is, is called tekton? And it actually also means builder. Did you know Jesus worked more with stone than he did with wood? And we always look at it and think he worked with, he worked a lot more with stone in places like this than he did with wood. And you're like, how does that change my life? It doesn't, but it's, you know what? We should know a little bit of the history of the savior of the world, right? Amen? Yeah. So here he is. And this is, now you get it. Ready? Look at Matthew 23. I know we're in Acts, but I had to do this because in talking about hypocrisy, I had to go back to the master teacher. Look at what he does. Now that you know this, look at what he does in Matthew 23. And I just highlighted, this is Matthew 23, 13, 15, 23, 25, 27, and 29. Six times in the same chapter, the same conversation, he uses the word hypocrite. Look what he says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. 15, hypocrites. Says it again. Woe to you, hypocrites. Woe to you, hypocrites. Woe to you, hypocrites. I love 27. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. Now I want you to see, now that you understand the cultural context, I want you to see a Jesus with fire in his eyes and righteous anger he didn't just go, woe to you Pharisees, you hypocrites. He had his voice boomed when he said this. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 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 you're actors. And we've never looked at Jesus. We need to see the full personality, the full gamut of the personality of Jesus. Why do we have emotions? Because God has emotions. Jesus had it all. Jesus laughed. Jesus cried. Jesus got angry, righteous anger. Because the Pharisees were putting responsibilities on the people and telling them, this is the way you get to God. And it was leading to death. And Jesus came after it. Isn't that good, church? So good. Now can we get to the deep stuff? Now can we get to some of the deep stuff? I'm not going to talk too long. But this is where I felt. And you know, <sighs> sorry, I'm supposed to be composed. Speaker, supposed to, be real. you know, tomorrow's Pastor Linda's birthday. No. You, you don't hear her as much. I like to say this to the church. You don't hear her as much as you used to, but you hear her every Sunday when you hear me, yes. right? Yes. 
<laughs> and I'm very emotional this week, given just surrounded by death as a people. Even Kobe Bryant, right? Everywhere we saw death this week. And uh, my heart is raw. And it was so interesting to me that yesterday I sat down, I said, Mom, I need your help on this text. And right there, I mean, she hit it like in like two seconds. And I, I'll tape some of the conversations that I have with her now. Because I was thinking about people that, you know, one day you don't have these people. And I want what she's given me, I want to give to you. And I can't give it the way she gave it. But I'm going to try my best through the years to give you what she's given me. And my dad, and my dad, and my dad, but I'm sorry. I had to, sh I, felt, I felt really led to share that because I just, what a gift. Yes. I'm sorry, I've never, this is like, I'm a train wreck. Not blowing my nose again, that didn't go well first time. <laughs> but I, I, I have to, I feel like I have to say that because she is such a gift for all of us. And even me though, right? It's, it's like a, that is a, <clears throat> I'm not really, listen to me, a lot of guys that are my age, I'm 46 years old, I'll be 47 in a couple months, but a lot of guys run churches and they don't have people mentoring them. They have a board and stuff, but I have the opportunity to have somebody behind, both of my parents, but I'm just saying it to my mom because it's her birthday, and what an opportunity to, because, no, really, because, you know, a lot of people don't have what I have, so I'm, so I'm just letting you know publicly how blessed I am behind the scenes, what you don't see, because there's a, listen, do you know there's a public us and there's a private us? And I think sometimes, you know, you're not so, you're public you, like you should put your best foot forward. When you go to a job interview, when you go to work and there are things that you do, right? You should put your best foot forward. And I try to, you know, I'm a teacher. You, you try to do things. You try to impact people, right? But you shouldn't go talking to everyone. I, I have a colleague and this woman tells everybody about her marital problems. And at first I used to think years ago it was me because I'm a pastor and she just kind of knew. And then when somebody else told me that she wasn't even really close, I'm like, really? This woman just tells everybody and just opens up like, you know, Niagara Falls and just like spills everything out on the table. That is not wisdom, right? There is a public us and there is a private us, right? A public me and a private me. But a lot of times, if I could be totally honest, we don't even know the depths of our, the private us. We don't even know the depths of who we really are. And sometimes that's really hard. But listen, the private us the, the one that is not visible because the Pharisees and religion gives you what, religion is about the, the public us and what we present to other people, that we follow all of the rules, we do all of the right things, that's what religion conveys, that's what religion teaches, and that is not biblical, that's why Jesus came against the Pharisees, that's what they were trying to do, that's where they were going with things, and listen, your private you, we don't tell everybody, but we need to have safe people in our lives. Cloud Townsend, we need safe people in our lives that we can breathe, bring things to. How many of us really, do you have safe people in your life that you can share things with? Safe people. 
This week, I had two instances where I was with different people, and it just kind of happened, and people talked. I know I'm a minister, but I was so impressed with people that were able to open up their heart and talk about really sensitive issues, and so much in the church, we hide. We hide from ourselves, and we hide our sin, and we act like we get so shamed and guilty with it that we don't want to show anybody it, and we just want to keep it hidden. If I could just keep it down here, and we separate, and then we build what's known as a false self, And we look at those emotions and we say they're bad. Just keep them down here. Don't show anybody those things. And maybe you were hurt. Maybe something happened. Maybe you're hiding because you were hurt or I'm hurt. Maybe something happened when you were a child. Maybe your dad told you, I'm into sports. And you know what? You better be into sports too. And you were artistic and you were more into that. And there was a wound that you've carried your entire life, but you just buried it and you put it down here. And I know I'm talking about stuff that's kind of deep and it's kind of heavy, but nowhere else in the world do people talk about this stuff. We hide our pain. We hide our shame. Church, this is supposed to be a safe place where we find people and our real self can really, we can take the false self and put it away, our private self and our public self. We can be, it's a safe place where we can share some of that here. But unfortunately, a lot of times it doesn't happen. That's why we say no perfect people allowed. That's why it's so important. Can I, uh, now, this stuff blew my mind, and she, you mentioned this to me, and I started reading the book last night. There's a, a Trappist monk and a priest. I don't usually quote from Trappist monks, and sometimes I'll, you know, we quote from Henry Nouwen, uh, Thomas Merton. You're going to see a Merton quote in a second. Just give me five more minutes, and I'll be done. And this is, this is what he said. Look at this. He's talking about the false self, and we've, in the church, we've heard so much from Pastor Linda over the years on the true self and the false self. I'm in kindergarten on this stuff. Okay, so I don't profess, I don't have all this together. I'm learning just like you are. She knows, she's much further ahead than all of us. But I love what he says here. He says the false self we create is based on three things. What we do, what we have, and what people think of us. Do you realize how much of our lives is based around this? Do you realize in the story that we read today in Acts chapter 5, they were concerned with what people thought of them. That's why they did what they did. Do you see in your own life, because I've done it before, where we want to make ourselves look more spiritual than we actually are? We want to paint ourselves in a better light than actually. I was in a conversation last week with a colleague, and for some reason we were talking about a show, and I had, why did I have to tell him I don't watch a lot of TV that I'd rather read? Why did I have to tell him that? Because I had to put an image out there because he knows who I am. The more I got in touch with it, when I'm asking myself, I felt convicted. Why did you say that? Because I had to tell him that who I am and this is what I do and I'd rather read and I'm maybe a little more intellectual than you and I'm a little different than you. Full self. Trying to impress him. Why am I trying to impress anybody? At the end of the day, when all the scaffolding of life gets torn away, we need to realize, pull some of the layers off and realize we are loved by God. We can't do anything to earn his love. You are loved right now as much as you're going to be loved tomorrow, as much as you were last week. It can't change. Can't change. challenges us to strip away the false self and the things that we lean on. We all lean on things, right? We're all leaning on things. Look what, look what Merton says. He says, every one of us 
is shadowed by an illusory person, a false self. This is the man that I want myself to be, but who cannot exist because God does not know anything about him. And to be unknown of God is altogether too much privacy. My heart is so heavy today because so many of us will never know who we really are in Christ because we've built up a false self that God says, I don't even know who that is, our image. And do you ever notice how temperamental the false image really is, the false self is, how easily offended it is? Because it was never meant to be constructed. It's a social construct. I'm thinking about it. I'm like, it's a social construct. That's not who we are. And this is more of like a spirit. You just got to catch this. Because this is where the rubber meets the road for us. We have to prove ourselves and we ask each other questions. What do you do for a living? How much money do you make? Where do you live? We're always valuing and a lot of it, we're building our lives on a false self that God doesn't even know and doesn't care about. I can't say it like Pastor Linda can say it. And you know what happens? The gap gets wider. There is a chasm between who we really are and who we're projecting ourselves to be. We're projecting ourselves to be something that we're not and the gap widens, the chasm widens and that's why we think, I'm. So, but everybody looks at me that I'm a happy, compassionate person. I'm not supposed to show anger because that's not, that wouldn't be in line with being a Christian and we suppress all of these emotions. The false self, the true self, hypocrisy. You see it in the story today? I love this. I got this from another psychologist, Dan Allender, and I, I love this illustration. He says, I want you to think about, and, and I got a picture of it, the false self where it says, is all concerned about self. You know what the false self is concerned about? The false self is concerned about how we look to other people. The true self says, I know how I look in the eyes of God. I am in the beloved. I'm already loved. I can't do anything to earn that. The false self is about self-protection, ambition, and the love of power. And he says, that's the shell that has to be broken. You know, when you take like that, the nutcracker thing and you take it on the walnut and you break it open, that's the shell. And guess what? It can be painful. You go back to the Garden of Eden. What do you think they did in the Garden of Eden? When they sinned and God would, Adam, where are you? And they're hiding and they took fig leaves. They were ashamed and they hid. They felt like they had to cover up. We can feel naked. Our true self, though, look, our true self is that we're able to rest. We're a, we have nothing. Listen to me. We have nothing to prove to anybody. We are already accepted in Christ. You don't have to do anything. Ananias, Sapphira, you could have sold the land and kept back some of the proceeds. And guess what? The church would have loved you for it. You didn't have to do that. You don't have anything to prove to people. I know you feel like church. Maybe there's somebody you feel like there's something you have to prove to your mom or your dad. Maybe your parents said stuff to you when you were a young kid and you feel like, I got to prove myself. You don't know. I got to prove myself in this world. I got to get that degree. I got to get that job. I want my kids to be the best and I'm going to live vicariously through them. False self, true self. Saints, we have to be able to rest in what God did on that cross 2,000 years ago.
We don't need to prove. We don't need to protect. Pastor Linda, you should talk more about this, not me. What messages did you get growing up? What messages did you get? I'm giving you a couple of questions I wrote down from Pastor Linda. It's from her. What messages did you get growing up? Maybe from your parents? Did you get any messages? About what, was, what you were supposed to be, who you're supposed to be. I love that. I thought that was good. She said, what parts of you are you hiding because you were shamed as a child? What parts of you that are you, you're putting away and you're suppressing? I know, again, listen, this isn't like a normal sermon, but you know what? I can, I can inspire you every single week. What change? This is where, this is life application. This brings transformation if we can get this. And this is part of the bedrock of who we are as a church. Again, I can't say it nearly as well as she can, but I'm just trying to lay, help build on top of the foundation that's been laid here as a church. Music team, why don't you come up? I'm, I'm, they're done listening to me. I'm done. You know, God hates hypocrisy, hates hypocrisy, hates it. I don't know about you, but I, I love people, listen, I love people that are authentic and transparent. I can't get close to people, and there's some people I know, man, and I try, and I try, and I try, and they just, you know what you need, listen, we need people that are above us, ahead of us. There's a guy named Gordon McDonald that he writes about this. We need people. That's why Pastor Linda and I always go to books. And, and we're always looking to people that are ahead of us. We should have people in our lives that are ahead of us that can pull us higher. We should have people that are our peers that we're on the same level with. And we should have people in our lives that we're mentoring. We should have all three in our lives. But I want people that are real. The opposite of hypocrisy is reality. Reality of naming who I am and my situation and bringing my junk to the table and bringing my sin. How come church is a place like Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that we get so amazed and so surprised? Oh my gosh, there's a sinner among us. When somebody says, oh my gosh, there, that person's a sinner. Why do we get so surprised? We're all sinners. We've all constructed false selves. The key is recognizing it and starting to deal with it. Why don't we stand up, church? Why don't we stand up? Hey, listen, let me just tell you, let me put this in. I was going to skip this. I was going to skip this part of the, like, I wanted to pass over Acts chapter 5, talking about Ananias and Sapphira. Next week, if you're in a relationship with somebody or anybody that's in a relationship, you don't want to miss next week. We are going to get into some really important stuff about relationships and tie it into the book of Acts. How many of us mind read in relationships? How many of us mind read? Yeah, okay. I got a good message next week and I was gonna do it today and I held off and I put this together later in the week. Pastor Linda kind of confirmed it, but next week we're gonna be moving ahead with that. I want us today, Lord, I'm just gonna pray as, uh, before we even sing this song. Lord, Lord, I'm a mess, I don't know. Father, I'm just, I'm thankful, Lord, when, when I'm weak, you're strong, Lord. Lord, I'm thankful that I don't have to be perfect. I'm thankful, Lord, I, I don't need affirmation and I don't need everybody to tell me, oh, you did a good job. You need, Lord, I'm thankful that I'm accepted and loved by you right now. I'm so thankful for that. Lord, free all of us, Father. Lord, continue to free me from the image of who I think I'm supposed to be. Lord, you can't bless who I pretend to be, Father. You can't bless who we pretend to be. We want
want to be real. Lord, I want that shell cracked. Lord, I want the shell, the false self cracked. Lord, I pray for Wednesday night before we walk in here. Lord, your spirit's going to be there before we walk in the door. Lord, I'm praying for authenticity. Lord, I'm praying for transparency. Lord, I'm praying for people to get up and share what's really going on in their hearts. I'm praying for people to come up and not care what other people are in the room and not try to prove anything and not be like Ananias and Sapphira and try to look a certain way and look more spiritual than they are. Lord, you want authenticity. Lord, help us to just be real. We want to be a real people, Father. A real people, Lord. I want to be faith. I don't want Photoshop faith, Lord. I'm sick of Photoshopping things like we do on social media and make things look better than it is than they are. Lord, may we show who we really are to each other, Father, because that's where breakthrough can happen. That's where change can happen. And Lord, that's where your spirit resides. And that's when you smile down on a people that don't hide from who they are, Lord. Come out, come out, Lord, the Lord says, wherever you are for this Wednesday. Come out, come out, wherever you are, and bring your true self who you really are. Amen. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.